0: Section three of celebrated women travelers of the nineteenth century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Women Travelers of the Nineteenth Century by W. H. Davenport Adams. Section three. Madame Homer de Hell. Part one not only as a persevering and enlightened traveller but as a poet madame homer de hell has gained distinction it is in the former capacity that she claims a place in these pages she was born at artois in eighteen nineteen while she was still an infant her mother died but it was her good fortune to find in the love of an only sister no inadequate substitute for maternal affection her father seems to have been one of those individuals whom fortune tosses to and fro with pertinacious ill-humour moreover he had something of the nomad in his temperament and without any real or sufficient motive moved from place to place entailing upon his young family sudden and burdensome journeys before adela was seven years old she had been carried from franche-comte into the bourbonnais thence into auvergne and thence to paris she was afterwards placed in a boarding-school at st modet but her father's death restored her to her sister's guardianship at st etienne a short time after her arrival in this town she attracted the attention of xavier homer de hell since so justly celebrated as a traveller and a scientist he fell passionately in love with her and though she was but fifteen years of age and had no fortune he rested not until his family gave their consent to his marriage to provide for his child-wife he obtained an office in the railway administration but only temporarily for already he had made up his mind to seek fortune and reputation in some foreign country he pushed his solicitations with so much energy that in the first year of his wedded life he secured an appointment under the turkish government his wife to whom a child had just been given was unable to accompany him the pain of separation was very great but both knew that in france there was no present opening for his talents and both were agreed that their separation should not be for long and indeed before the end of the year madame de hell clasped her babe to her bosom and set out to join her husband her poetical faculties were first stimulated by her voyage to the east previously she had cherished a deep love for nature for the music of verse for nobility of thought but had made no attempt to define and record her impressions the isles and shores of the mediterranean with their myriad charms and grand historic associations that great mid-sea that moans with memories loosened her genius so to speak and stimulated her to clothe her feelings and sentiments in a metrical form it is not difficult to understand the effect which on a warm imagination and sensitive temperament that richly colored panorama of the isles of greece and that exquisite prospect of constantinople and the golden horn would necessarily produce for some time as she herself tells us she lived in a kind of moral and intellectual intoxication she was absorbed in an ideal world which bewildered while it delighted her the plague was then dealing heavily with the unfortunate mussulman populations but it did not terrify our enthusiastic travellers as if they bore a charmed life they went to and fro seeing whatever was fine or memorable and yet all unable to satisfy that thirst for beauty which the beautiful around them had excited madame de hell was under the influence of a subtle spell her quick fancy was profoundly impressed by the picturesque aspects of oriental life by its glow of colour and grace of form so different from the commonplace and monotonous realities of the west she seemed to be living in the old days of the caliphs those days which the authors of the thousand and one stories have immortalized to be living for example in the golden prime of good harun al-rashid as she saw before her the motley procession of veiled women persians with their pointed bonnets hindu jugglers with lithe lathsome figures negro slaves gray-bearded beggars looking like princes in disguise and armenians wrapped in their long furred cloaks she delighted accompanied by her husband to explore the silent recesses of the hilly and almost solitary streets in the less frequented quarters of stamboul where a latticed window or a half-open door would suggest a romance of love and mystery or a vision of some gorgeous palace interior of carven darn doors flung inward over spangled floors broad based flights of marble stairs run up with golden balustrade when madame de hell visited the east it was considered dangerous for franks to venture into the streets of constantinople and they occupied only the suburbs of para and galata which were exclusively made over to the christian population and separated from the mussulman city by the arm of the sea known as the golden horn and as in those days which were long before the introduction of mr Cook's personally conducted tours tourists were few the presence of a giaour in the mohammedan quarter was an extraordinary event those who should have fallen in with our two young adventurers their eager gaze roving everywhere in quest of new discoveries strolling hither and thither like two children out for a holiday would never for one moment have supposed that a terrible pestilence was raging through the city and nowhere more fatally than in the very districts they had chosen for their explorations but perhaps the danger from disease was not so imminent as the peril they incurred in penetrating into the chosen territory of islam fortune favored them however or their frank bearing disarmed fanaticism and they escaped without molestation or even insult as monsieur and madame de hell resided for a year in constantinople it is needless to say they remained long enough for the glamour to disappear in which at first their lively imaginations had invested everything around them the gorgeous visions vanished and their eyes were opened to the hard realities of Mohammedan ignorance bigotry and misgovernment they learned perhaps that the order and freedom of western civilization are infinitely more valuable than the picturesqueness of oriental society in eighteen thirty eight they set out for odessa where m de hell hoped to obtain a position worthy of his talents the future of the young couple rested wholly on a letter of recommendation to general pottier by whom they were warmly welcomed the general who owned a large estate in the neighborhood where he cultivated a famous breed of merino sheep had formed a project for erecting mills upon the dnieper to carry it out he needed an engineer and in m homer de hell he found one straightway they proceeded to his estate at Curson, and m de hell set to work on the necessary plans while thus engaged he conceived the idea of a scientific expedition to the caspian sea a basin of which little was then known to our geographers and this idea held him so firmly that a few months later he gave up his employment in order to realize it in one of his excursions to the cataracts of the dnieper where the mills were to be erected his geological knowledge led him to the discovery of the rich veins of an iron mine which has since been profitably worked this period of my life wrote madame de hell afterwards spent in the midst of the steppes remote from any town appears to me now in so calm tender and serene a light that the slightest memorial of it moves me profoundly only to see the shore where we passed whole days in seeking for shells only to hear the sound of the great waves rolling on the sandbanks and among the seaweed only to recall a single one of the impressions of that happy epoch i would willingly repeat the voyage for his great scientific expedition m de hell made vigorous preparations during the winter of eighteen thirty eight and having obtained from count Baratsov, the governor of new russia strong letters of recommendation to the governors and officials of the provinces he would have to traverse he and his wife started in the middle of may eighteen thirty nine accompanied by a cossack and an excellent dragoman who spoke all the dialect current in southern russia their journey through the country of the don cossacks we shall pass over as offering nothing of special novelty or interest and take up madame de hell's narrative at the point of her arrival on the banks of the volga a dull white line she says scarcely perceptible through the gloom announced the presence of the great river we followed its course all night catching a glimpse of it from time to time by the faint glimmer of the stars and by the lights of the fishermen's lanterns flashing here and there along its banks there was an originality in the scene that strongly affected the imagination those numerous lights flitting from point to point were like the will-o'-the-wisps that beguile the belated traveller and then the Kalmuck encampments with their black masses that seemed to glide over the surface of the steppe the darkness of the night the speed with which our troika set of three carried us over the boundless plain the shrill tinkle of the horse-bells and above all the knowledge that we were in the land of the Kalmucks, wrought us up to a state of nervous excitement that made us see everything in the hues of fancy at daybreak our eyes were turned eagerly towards the volga that flashed in the glories of the morning sky from the elevation we had reached we could survey the whole country and it may easily be conceived with what admiration we gazed upon the calm majestic river and on its multitude of islands fringed with aspen and alder on the other side the steppes where the kurgits and kalmucks encamp extended as far as the eye could reach till limited by a horizon as smooth and uniform as that of the ocean it would be difficult to imagine a grander picture or one more entirely in harmony with the ideas evoked by the volga to which its course of upwards of six hundred leagues assigns the foremost place among european rivers at the outset of her journey madame de hell had exclaimed what happiness it is to escape from the prosaic details of everyday life from social obligations from the dull routine of habit to take one's flight towards the almost unknown shores of the caspian it is strange but it proves that my vocation is that of tourist. that what would daunt the majority of women is really what charms me most in the forecast of this journey assuredly the details of everyday life were left behind when the courageous lady embarked upon the volga and set out for the famous city of astrakhan all around her was new and strange and each day each hour brought before her eager mind some fresh subject of speculation she paid a visit to a kalmuk prince prince tumine and found herself in the midst of a new world the prince's palace was built she says in the chinese style and pleasantly situated on the green side of a gentle slope about one hundred feet from the volga its numerous galleries afforded views over every part of the island on which the palace was situated and commanded a long reach of the shining river from one angle the eye looked down on a mass of foliage embosoming the glittering cupola and the golden ball above beautiful meadows studded with clumps of trees and highly cultivated fields spread out their verdure to the left of the palace and formed a succession of landscapes like pictures in a panorama the whole was enlivened by the figures of kalmuk horsemen galloping to and fro of camels wandering here and there through the rich pastures and officers conveying the orders of their chief from tent to tent the spectacle was imposing various in its details but harmonious as a whole madame de hell was invited to visit the prince's sister-in-law who during the summer season resided in her kibitka in preference to the palace the curtain at the threshold of the pavilion having been raised she was ushered into a spacious room lighted from above and draped with red damask the reflection from which shed a glowing tint on every object the floor was covered with a rich turkey carpet and the air was heavy with perfumes in this rosy light and balmy atmosphere was seated the princess on a low platform at the further end of the tent dressed in shining robes and motionless as an idol around her crouching on their heels were arranged some twenty women in full dress having allowed madame de hell a few minutes to admire her the princess slowly descended the steps of the platform approached with a dignified bearing took her by the hand embraced her affectionately and led her to the seat she had just vacated through the medium of an armenian interpreter a brief conversation followed after which she made signs that dancing should begin one of the ladies of honour then rose and performed a few steps turning slowly upon herself while another who remained seated drew forth from a balalaika an oriental guitar certain doleful sounds ill adapted to the movements of a dancer nor were the attitudes and movements of her companion so much those of the dance as of the pantomime there was evidently a meaning in them though madame de hell could not unravel it the young figurant frequently extended her arms and threw herself on her knees as if in invocation of some unseen power the performance lasted for some considerable time and madame de hell had ample opportunity of scrutinizing the princess and of coming to the conclusion that her high reputation for beauty was not undeserved her figure was imposing and well proportioned the lips beautifully arched and closing over pearly teeth the countenance expressive of great sweetness the skin of a brownish tint but exquisitely delicate would entitle her to be considered a very handsome woman even in france if the outline of her face and the arrangement of her features the oblique eyes the prominent cheekbones, had been less pronouncedly cow-muck. a word as to her costume over a costly robe of persian stuff laced all over with silver she wore a light silk tunic open in front and descending only to the knee the high corsage was quite flat and glittered with silver embroidery and fine pearls that covered every seam round her neck she wore a white cambric habit shirt in shape not unlike a man's collar forty years ago and fastened in front by a diamond button her luxuriant deep black hair fell over her bosom into magnificent and remarkably long tresses a yellow cap edged with rich fur and fashioned like the square cap of a french judge was set jauntily on the crown of her head but in her costume the two articles that most surprised madame de hell were an embroidered cambric handkerchief and a pair of black mittens significant proofs that the products of the french loom found their way even to the toilet of a Kalmuck lady among the princess's ornaments must not be forgotten a large gold chain which after being twisted round her glossy tresses was passed through her gold earrings and then allowed to fall upon her bosom madame de Hell was afterwards entertained with a specimen of kalmack horsemanship the moment she came out into the open five or six mounted men armed with long lassos rushed into the middle of the taboon or herd of horses collected for the purpose keeping their eyes constantly on the princess's son madame de hell's companion who was to point out the animal they should seize at the signal they immediately galloped forward and noosed a young horse with long dishevelled mane whose dilated eyes and smoking nostrils revealed his inexpressible terror a lightly clad kalmuk who followed them afoot sprang instantly upon the stallion cut the thongs that were throttling him and engaged with him in a contest of incredible agility and daring it would scarcely be possible for any spectacle more vividly to affect the mind than that now presented to madame de hell's astonished gaze sometimes rider and horse rolled together on the grass sometimes they shot through the air with arrowy speed and then suddenly halted as if a wall had sprung up before them all at once the impetuous animal would crawl on its belly or rear in a manner that made the spectator shriek with terror then plunging forward in a mad gallop he would dash through the startled herd seeking by every possible means to rid himself of his unaccustomed burden but this exercise violent and perilous as it looked to europeans seemed but sport to the Kalmuck, whose body followed every movement of the animal with so much suppleness that one might have supposed both steed and rider to be animated by the same thought the sweat poured in profuse streams from the stallion's flanks and he trembled in every limb as for the rider his coolness would have put to shame the most accomplished horsemen in europe in the most critical moments he contrived so far to retain his self-command as to wave his arms in token of triumph and in spite of the passion and temper of his untrained steed held sufficient control over it to keep it always within the circle of the spectator's vision at a signal from the prince two horsemen who had remained as close as possible to the daring centaur seized him with astonishing swiftness and galloped away with him before those who looked on could understand the new manoeuvre the horse for a moment stupefied soon darted away at full speed and was lost in the midst of the herd this exploit was several times repeated and always without the rider suffering himself to be thrown madame de hell's account of the Kalmucks is on the whole very favourable while it shows how closely she studied their manners and customs and the habits of their daily life as to physical details she says that the Kalmucks have eyes set obliquely with eyelids little opened scanty black eyebrows noses deeply depressed near the forehead prominent cheek-bones spare beards thin moustaches and a brownish-yellow skin the lips of the men are thick and fleshy but the women particularly those of the higher classes the white bones as they are called have heart-shaped mouths of more than ordinary beauty all have great ears projecting strongly from the head and their hair is invariably black the cowmucks are generally small but with well-rounded figures and an easy carriage very few deformed persons are seen among them for with the wisdom of nature they leave the development of their children's frames unchecked nor indeed do they put any garments upon them until they reach the age of nine or ten no sooner can they walk than they mount on horseback and address themselves vigorously to wrestling and riding the chief amusements of the tribes like all who dwell upon vast plains they enjoy an exceedingly keen sight an hour after sunset they can distinguish a camel at a distance of upwards of three miles madame de hell tells us that often when she could see nothing but a point on the horizon they would clearly make out a horseman armed with lance and gun they have also an extraordinary faculty for tracing their way through the pathless wilderness without any apparent landmarks they would traverse hundreds of miles with their flocks and never deviate from the right course the costume of the common Kalmucks exhibits no decided peculiarity apart from the cap which is invariably of yellow cloth trimmed with black lambskin and is worn by both sexes madame de hell seems inclined to think that some superstitious notions are connected with it from the difficulty she experienced in procuring a specimen the trousers are wide and open below the well-to-do kalmucks wear two long tunics one of which is fastened round the waist but the usual dress consists only of trousers and a jacket of skin with tight sleeves the men shave a part of their heads and the rest of the hair is collected into a single cluster which hangs down on the shoulders the women wear two tresses which is really the sole visible distinction of their sex the princes have adopted the circassian costume or the uniform of the astrakhan cossacks to which body some of them belong the ordinary chaussure is red boots with very high heels and generally much too short the Kalmucks have almost as great a partiality for small feet as the chinese and as they are constantly on horseback their short boots cause them no great inconvenience but for these reasons they are very bad pedestrians their cribbed cabined and confined footgear obliges them to walk on their toes and the distress is great when they have no horse to mount like all pastoral people the kalmucks live frugally because their wants are few and their nomadic life is unfavorable to the growth of a liking for luxuries they live chiefly upon milk and butter with tea for their favorite beverage their bill of fare also includes meat and particularly horseflesh which they prefer to any other but they do not eat it raw as some writers have pretended as for cereals which europeans value so highly their use is scarcely known it is at rare intervals only that some of them buy bread or oat-cake from the neighboring russians their mode of preparing tea would not commend itself to the denizens of mayfair it comes to them from china in the shape of very hard bricks composed of the leaves and coarsest portions of the plant after boiling it for a considerable time in water they add milk butter and salt the infusion then acquires consistency and a dull red colour we tasted the beverage says madame de hell at prince two but must confess it was perfectly detestable they say however that one easily gets accustomed to it and eventually learns to think it delicious it has however one good quality by strongly stimulating perspiration it serves as an excellent preservative Against the effect of sudden chills, the Kalmuks drink it out of round, shallow little wooden vessels to which they often attach a very high value. I have seen several, as our traveller, which were priced at two or three horses, they are generally made of roots brought from Asia. It is scarcely necessary to say that the Kalmuks know nothing of tea kettles and make their beverage in large iron pots next to tea they love spiritous liquors from mares milk or ass's milk they manufacture a kind of brandy but as it is a very feeble stimulant they eagerly seek after russian liquors and therefore to prevent the fatal consequences of their mania the government has forbidden the establishment of any dram shops among their hordes the women crave the deadly liquor no less ardently than the men but are so closely watched by their lords and masters that they have few opportunities of indulging the taste among the kalmucks as among most oriental peoples the stronger sex looks with contempt upon all household matters abandoning them entirely to the women who work and take charge of the children keep the tents in order make up the garments and furs of the family and attend to the cattle the men hardly condescend to groom their horses they hunt drink tea or brandy those about upon felts and smoke or sleep add to their daily occupations if such they can be called their joining in occasional games such as chess and knuckle-bones and you have a complete picture of the existence we will not say life of a cowmuck familius at their laborious days however the women never repine they are accustomed to the burden and bear it cheerfully but they age very early and after a few years of wedlock not only lose their good looks but acquire a coarseness of feature and a robustness of figure which make it exceedingly difficult to distinguish them from men nor is the difficulty lessened by the fact that the costume of both sexes is closely alike at astrakhan the most dangerous as well as the most arduous part of the expedition of our two travelers began they were compelled to carry provisions with them if they did not wish to perish of hunger on the steppes an escort was therefore necessary and the russian governor selected for the post one of his best officers a young man famed for his skill as a hunter and as the happy owner of a falcon from which he would never separate satisfied with providing so competent a purveyor the governor in presenting him to the travellers said now my conscience is at rest i give you a brave soldier to protect you and a travelling companion who will take care that you are not starved to death in the desert from astrakhan they pushed forward to vladimiravkah a town on the kuma which they entered with a good deal of pomp and circumstance a britchka drawn by three camels and carrying M and madame de hell led the van then came a troop of four or five cossacks armed to the teeth and several Kalmucks guiding a train of camels loaded with baggage the cossack officer with falcon on wrist and his long rifle slung behind him rode by the side of the carriage ready with muscovite precision to transmit orders to the escort and gallop off at the slightest signal whilst the dragoman lolled on the boxy with a fine air of contemptuous indifference to everything around him after a few days rest and refreshment they resumed their journey advancing rapidly towards the caucasus of which the highest summit mount elbers from time to time afforded them a glimpse of its lofty head which was almost always shrouded in mist as if to conceal it from the profane gaze tradition avows that noah's dove alighted on its peak and plucked thence the mystic branch which has ever since been hallowed as symbolic of peace and hope we were now writes madame de hell in an enchanted region though but just beyond the verge of the steppes. the faint lines that checkered the sky gradually assumed a greater distinctness of form and color at first the mountains seemed so many light transparent vapors floating upon the wind but by degrees the airy vision developed into forest crowned mountains deep shadowy gorges and domes clothed with mists our minds were almost overwhelmed with a multitude of emotions excited by the prodigal nature before us the magnificent vegetation and the various hues of forest and mountain peak crag ravine and snowy summits it was beautiful superbly beautiful and then it was the caucasus the caucasus a name associated with so many grand historic memories with the earliest traditions and most fabulous creeds the abode in the world's gray morning of the races whence have sprung so many famous nations around it hangs all the vague poetry of the ages visible only to the imagination through the mysterious veil of antiquity at georgiev they rested on the threshold of the caucasus thence they proceeded to piatyorsk celebrated for its mineral waters on the road they fell in with a troop of circassians i shall never forget says madame de hell the glances which they flung on our cossacks as they passed by though it was only in looks they durst manifest the hatred that seethed in their hearts against everything russian they were all fully armed beneath their black burkas glittered the sheen of their pistols and their damasked poignards i confess their appearance pleased me most when they were just vanishing from sight on the summit of a hill where their martial figures were outlined against the sky seeing them through the mist i began to think of ossian's heroes piatigorsk is not so much a town as a pleasant cluster of country houses inhabited for some months of the year by a rich aristocracy all about it is gay and pretty and everywhere are those signs of affluence which the russian nobles love to see around them nothing offends the eye nothing touches the heart there are no poor no squalid huts no indication of the wretchedness of poverty it is a terrestrial elysium where great ladies and princes courtiers and generals look out upon none but agreeable images selected from all that is charming in art and nature thermal springs are found on most of the surrounding heights and the works that afford access to them do credit to the skill of the russian engineers and the liberality of the russian government on one of the loftiest peaks rises an octagonal building consisting of a cupola resting upon slender shapely columns which are encircled at their base by a graceful balustrade the interior open on all sides contains an aeolian harp the melancholy notes of which blending with all the mountain echoes descend softly to the valley the route of our travellers after quitting piatigorsk lay along the broad deep valley of the podkuva which on the right is bounded by rocks piled one upon another like billows suddenly petrified and bearing witness to some great upheaval in the past on the left tier after tier of richly wooded mountains rise gradually to the majestic chain of the Kazbek. eventually the road leaves the valley at a point where it has become very narrow and traverses a long sinuous ledge parallel with the course of the torrent until it begins to enter the mountains here the miry soil through which their horses had labored with much difficulty and the gray sky and the moist atmosphere that had hitherto accompanied them were at once exchanged for a dry air cold dust and sunshine this sudden contrast is a phenomenon peculiar to elevated regions madame de hell was strongly impressed by the wild picturesque character of the scenery of this part of the caucasus at certain intervals conical mounds of earth about sixty feet high stood conspicuous watch-towers where sentinels are stationed day and night their outlines sharply marked against the sky produce a curious and striking effect amidst the profound solitude the sight of these cossacks with muskets shouldered pacing up and down the small platform on the summit of each eminence conveyed to the spectator's mind a knowledge of the rapid advance which russian civilization had made into this remote region it was mid-october but vegetation still retained its freshness the steep mountain sides were covered with rich green swards which afforded abundant pasture for the scattered flocks of goats their keepers clothed in sheepskins and carrying instead of the traditional crook long guns slung across their shoulders with two or three powder-and-ball cases at their waists seemed in strange contrast to the pastoral sentiment of the landscape gigantic eagles roused from their eyries swept with heavy wing from crag to crag the monarchs of these solitudes here our travellers really looked out upon those features of the caspian wilderness on which their imaginations had so often dwelt of the circassian inhabitants of this mountain region before they were completely subjugated by the despotism of the white czar madame de hell furnishes a graphic account bred amid the sights and sounds of war they went always well armed carrying a rifle a sabre a long dagger which they wore in front and a pistol in the belt their picturesque costume consisted of tight pantaloons and a short tunic, which was belted round the waist and had cartridge pockets worked on the breast. A round, laced cap, encircled with a black or white border of long wooled sheepskin, formed their headgear. In cold or rainy weather, they wore a lick or hood, and a burka, or cloak of impervious felt they were bold and skillful riders and their horses though small were remarkable for spirit and endurance it is well known that a circassian horseman would cover twenty-five or even thirty leagues of ground in a night when pursued by the russians they would leap the most rapid torrents if their steeds were young and unaccustomed to such perilous exploits they would gallop them up to the brink of the ravine cover the head with their burkas and then dash almost always without mishap down precipices from twenty to fifty feet in depth it is unnecessary to dwell on their address in the use of firearms and of their two-edged daggers armed only with the latter weapon they were often known during their long and heroic struggle for independence to leap their horses over the muscovite bayonets stab the soldiers and break up and put to flight their serried battalions when surrounded in their forts or villages and shut out from all hope of escape they frequently sacrificed their wives and children like the jews in the last agonies of their war with rome set fire to their dwellings and perished heroically in the flames with true oriental devotedness they stand by their dead and wounded to the last extremity and fight with the most dogged courage to prevent them from falling into the hands of the enemy madame de hell is not disposed to endorse the reputation for beauty which so many writers have agreed in bestowing upon the circassian women she considers them even inferior physically to the men it is true she says we were unable to visit any of the great centers of population or to travel amongst the independent tribes but we saw several auls on the banks of the kuban and were entertained in a princely family and nowhere did we meet with any of those surpassing beauties whom more fortunate travelers have celebrated what she did observe in those daughters of the mountains was the elegance of their shape and the natural grace of their movements a circassian woman is never awkward dressed in rags or in brocade she never fails to assume spontaneously and without thought of display the most graceful and picturesque attitudes in this respect says madame de hell she is unquestionably superior to the highest efforts of fascination which parisian art can achieve a visit to the family of a circassian prince at home is thus narrated by our travellers the dwelling was a wretched mud hut in front of which on a mat lay the prince in his shirt and barefooted he received his visitors very hospitably and after the usual courtesies proceeded to make his toilette he sent for his finest garments and costliest leggear girded on his weapons and then led the way into his interior which was as bare and unfurnished as any connemara peasant's cabin the only objects visible being a saddle a few vessels and a divan covered with reed matting his guests having rested for a few minutes the prince introduced them to his wife and daughter who had been apprised of their arrival and were anxious to see them these ladies occupied a hut of their own consisting like the princes of a single room they rose at the entrance of their visitors and saluted them with much grace then motioning them to be seated the mother sat down in the turkish fashion on her divan while her daughter reclined against the couch on which the strangers had taken their places they when the reception was over remarked with surprise that the prince had not crossed the threshold but had simply put his head in at the door to answer their questions and converse with his wife the explanation afforded was that a circassian officer cannot consistently with honor enter his wife's apartment during the day and it seems that in all families with the slightest pretension to distinction this rule is rigorously observed a greater appearance of comfort was observable in the princess's apartment than in her husband's as might well be the case it contained two large divans the silk cushions of which were gay with gold and silver embroidery carpets of painted felt several trunks and a very pretty work-basket a small russian mirror and the prince's armorial trophies formed the decoration of the walls but the floor was not boarded the walls were rough plastered and the only provision for light and air were two little holes furnished with shutters the princess a woman apparently between five and thirty and forty years of age was by no means fitted to sustain the circassian reputation for beauty her dress had a character of its own under a brocaded pelisse with short sleeves and lace seams she wore a silk chemise which displayed more of the bosom than european notions of decorum would approve a velvet cap trimmed with silver smooth plaits of hair cut heart-shape on the forehead a white veil falling from the top of the head and covering over the bosom and finally a red shawl thrown carelessly over the lap voila too. as for the daughter she was charming she wore a white robe fastened round the waist by a red kazevec her features were delicate she had a complexion of exquisite fairness revealing the play of the pure and eloquent blood which spoke in her cheek and so distinctly wrought that one might almost say her body thought and a profusion of glossy raven tresses escaped from under her cap beyond all praise was the geniality of the two ladies about the country of their visitors their calling and the objects of their journey they put a thousand questions the european costume and especially the straw hats interested them greatly yet there was a certain air of coldness and impassiveness about them and not once did the princess smile until a long curtain accidentally fell and shut her out for a moment from her guests after a short but rapid conversation the visitors asked the princess's permission to take her portrait and sketch the interior of her abode she offered no objection when the drawings were finished a collation was served consisting of fruits and cheese-cakes in the evening the strangers took their leave and on coming out of the hut they found all the inhabitants of the aul assembled to witness their departure and do them honor we must resume our narrative of madame de hell's journey on their way to stavropole they experienced a mountain storm one of the grandest and most terrible they had ever witnessed the roar of the thunder repeated by every echo in cavern and ravine mingled with the groaning and jarring of the great trees with the loud gusts of the furious wind with all those mysterious voices of the tempest which come we know not whence but deeply stir the heart and have so potent a harmony and such a sublimity and force of sound that the least superstitious mind involuntarily awaits some supernatural manifestation some message from the other world we have ourselves listened to a storm in a highland glen the wind sweeping down the rugged declivities with terrible impetuosity and the thunder peals reverberating from peak to peak while the clouds from many a horrid rift abortive poured fierce rain with lightning mixed water with fire until the sense of an eerie and mysterious presence has forced itself upon our mind and we have been able to understand the emotions in which originated the visions of wraith and phantom of the bards of old our travellers however passed through the gale unhurt a tremendous outburst of rain the final effort of the tempest cleared the sky which towards the west was gradually lighted up with gleams of purple light contrasting gloriously with the darkness of the rest of the firmament a gorgeous rainbow one foot of which rested on the highest peak of the caucasus while the other was enveloped in the mists of evening rose before them for a few moments like an image of hope and then slowly faded into thin air at length they reached the station but in an unpleasant condition wet weary dazed and not a little surprised to find themselves safe and sound after the adventures of the day descending the last spurs of the caucasus our travelers next day entered upon the region of the plains the road was thronged with vehicles of all kinds horsemen and pedestrians all hurrying to the great fair of Stavropol, and every variety of type which characterizes the people of the caucasus circassians cossacks turcomans tartars georgians some in brilliant costumes caracalling on their high-bred persian horses others huddled up with their families in hide-covered carts others again driving before them immense herds of sheep and swine and others gravely leading a train of loaded camels madame de hell particularly noticed a handsome young circassian mounted on a richly caparisoned horse who rode constantly by the side of an unusually elegant pavasque, a kind of litter the curtains of which were kept down this carriage stimulated her curiosity and in such a country was well adapted to suggest to a lively fancy the outlines of a romance no doubt she thought the pavas contained a young and beautiful circassian whose charms would fascinate some oriental prince and place a queen's diadem upon her brow at an inn in Stavropol, madame de hell again fell in with the circassian and his mysterious charge but the latter was veiled from head to foot the young mountaineer she says prepared a divan with cushions and pillows very like our own and a few moments afterwards returned carrying in his arms a woman completely shrouded in her veil he placed her very delicately upon the divan and seated himself by her side with every mark of tenderness occasionally he lifted the young girl's veil to question her in the most respectful manner the whole scene was invested with a poetic charm which i vainly endeavoured to express in the attitudes the costume the physiognomy of this little group there was an oriental grace which would have impressed a painter not only was the picture pleasant to the eye but it was suggestive to the imagination unfortunately the delightful vision disappeared like a dream a few minutes and in came our host in search of the mysterious couple to conduct them to a private apartment infinite precautions were taken in the removal of the unknown lady who seemed to be on the brink of the grave next morning we questioned our host in reference to the incident but he replied very vaguely and all we could gather was that the young girl had come to Stavropol to consult a famous physician respecting her condition which offered but little hope we could gain no information from them as to the relations existing between her and the young chief the moral causes of her malady or in a word the interesting part of the story end of section three